Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, not only do you, do you need to get any tickets that you're going to use for next Sunday evening, and, and we've got a, a short, but I think a really, really good program planned. It's, it's not done yet for next Sunday evening and a uh, couple of interviews. One of them we, were, we may not get done because Aaron Craig is in hospice and we were going to interview him. Aaron is, uh, is dying of cancer and... Uh, and that's why he's at hospice. They've already called the family in. But he's been remarkable. It was a year ago or more. Uh, he, the Ohio State had already said he's beyond help. And one of the folks here raised the money and sent him to Houston. Houston is one of the two hospitals in the United States that deal only with cancer. And they said... He's too far gone. Nothing we can do. That kid, he's, what, 46 or 7. He's still alive. Now, listen to this because this is an old man talking and I can't prove a word of it. He's still alive because he is determined not to die. Now, that you may think that that's, I'm talking through my hat, but I'm not. The will to live is really strong an impressive thing in how long people live. And Truett is 91. She's not, she's, her, she and Ted were here shortly after the church started. <clears throat> and Ann probably has given up. And, and, and if I'm right, she'll not be here long. That will to live is a big deal. And Aaron Craig is alive and kicking because I have never seen a stronger effort. He, if he could, he would be here this morning. I mean, I literally be here this morning. And uh, uh, you, you need to keep him and his family in your prayers. He has used his sickness for at least, we have baptized at least four or five people that he's had a direct influence on since he's gotten really sick. It's amazing, really. And uh, I wanted to tell you that. And the other thing, my first wife walked up here a while ago and said, I need people that will decorate tables for next Sunday night. So, And we don't need much. We just need a little something on each table to brighten it up because we want to take some pictures for the Internet and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, so some of you women... If you got a few little goodies, you can bring next, because we'll have the tables up next Sunday morning, and uh, you can decorate them then or come early and whatever, but we need uh, another uh, dozen or so people to do that, and that would help a whole lot, and it'd make my life a lot more pleasant. You guys are sleepy. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> okay. Um, the... Uh, I'm going to show you a book directly that I want every one of you to read next year. And I'll talk more about it later on. <clears throat> David Platt wrote it. David uh, 
was a preacher in a church in Birmingham, Alabama for several years, just a little old mission church. I think the four or 5,000 showed up on Sunday. And, and then he uh, went to Northern Virginia. There's a church there for, that was begun by a fellow that was a Jewish convert. And friends of mine go there, Bob McEwen and Liz go there and some other folks and, and um, they, they called him up there because they wanted somebody that was really good to talk to that bunch of thieves around Washington. So that's where he is now. And uh, okay, let's see, that's it, I think. Anyway, the message that I have this morning is from the book of Jeremiah. Now, to be honest with you, uh, I was supposed to preach this sermon in October, but I looked at the schedule wrong, and I preached the one in October that was supposed to be today. And I got them backwards. And, uh, but the good thing is it's had, I've had that much more time to prepare, cause it's, so it'll be really good. And uh, It's about Jeremiah. And, uh, and the 31st chapter in particular of Jeremiah. But we'll spend time in the first chapter before we get there. Jeremiah was an interesting preacher. And we're going to talk about, I want to talk about him in particular before I get to them, the, the reason that this passage was so chosen because it has to do with the covenant, a new promise of a new covenant. We'll get to that at the end. Jeremiah uh, was a preacher at a critical time. You remember me telling you there were two dates in the Old Testament that you need to remember. You need to scribble them in your Bible or, or, or put them in your head. And if you're like me, if you put them in my head, erase kicks in about every other day so i have to write them down 721 bc was when the northern kingdom called israel capital in samaria fell and they were carried off into captivity in seven and 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 the other date was 586 bc and that's when the southern kingdom fell jerusalem was the capital Nebuchadnezzar was the one who conquered them. He actually conquered them in 597. But he, and, and that was when he carried off the, what the scripture says, the noblemen and the well-educated and took them back to Babylon. And, and among them were Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, the, the people that, uh, that all of you know, at least you know the names. And in that time, Nebuchadnezzar said to, the, to Judea, uh, that's the area around Jerusalem, he said, if you guys will do two or three things, I'll just leave you alone. Number one is every year you will send a certain amount of money. Number two is that you will not rebel. You will do what you're told. And, and they didn't. And during that time of 597 to 586, the date that you need to remember, Jeremiah was their preacher. We call him a prophet. But the prophet and preacher is all the same thing. His message was 
and you need to remember this. His message was simply this. Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, is God's instrument for punishing Israel for their disobedience. So, since God chose Nebuchadnezzar to exercise judgment on Israel, you better cooperate with him because if you do, life will be easier. They didn't. The Jews have always been independent-minded to, to, almost to a fault. And, and our country inherited that from them, really. Uh, the desire to be free has always been a strong thing for Israel. Because, but that message came from God. And if you want to stay free, you stay faithful to God. And so Jeremiah kept telling them, guys, you, 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 you want to cooperate with God? It won't be pleasant because judgment day has come. You've demanded your own way for so long, and you've sought other gods. You've done everything wrong. Punishment is here. And Jeremiah kept telling them, just understand, Babylon is God's instrument for judgment. God's instrument for judgment. And so finally, Nebuchadnezzar had a belly full. He sent his army, and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the walls of Jerusalem and, and just leveled the place. And a lot of people died. Now, I'm here to tell you, and I, I don't claim to be a prophet very often, but today I'm going to be a little bit. I think that our country, which I don't think anybody will argue with, has been the most blessed in the history of mankind. God has blessed us because at the outset, we were formed by individuals, many of them who were not practicing Christians, but had strong sympathies for the Christian faith. And, and, uh, and, and the influence, it was Benjamin Franklin who was everything but a Christian. He had a fast zipper. He was, you know, he was just an ordinary cuss. But... He probably read more sermons than anybody in the history of our country. He published a paper. And in that paper, he published a sermon by the best preacher in the country every time it came out. And he read that because he was a publisher. And so he had a strong, and he was the one you remember who said when they were trying to publish the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and so on and so forth, and everybody was arguing and fussing, and, and the whole issue of slavery was on the table, especially from the southern states like South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, who were heavy slave states. And, and it was he who said, guys, I'm an old man. I've lived a long time, and I have come to observe that God plays an active role in the history of mankind. We need to take a few days off and pray. Even though he wasn't a Christian, he was a strong, he had strong sympathies for the Christian faith. And that was true with a lot of them, really. The ones you would know best uh, uh, were ones who, other than Franklin, who became president, the ones that became president. I'm here to say 
that unless there is a dramatic turnaround in our country, you can anticipate that God will select someone to punish us. Because the scripture is very clear, to whom much is given, much is required. And we've cut back on our requirements, on meeting the requirements. And, 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 and the, the problems that are pervading our culture has invaded every, probably every family sitting here, if we're really honest. So there's no room for finger pointing and all of that. It's just a matter of facing up to the truth which will make us uncomfortable. Because even the godly people in Israel suffered along with the ungodly when the day of punishment came at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. There was last night, and, and I'd like to interview her if I can. We've had here in the last few weeks a young woman from China who's a practicing Christian. And I don't know how much she would be free to tell us, but she was here last night again. And because uh, she lives in communist China, not in Taiwan. Taiwan, believe it or not, has a strong Christian influence. I've been there several times, especially in Kaohsiung. And, and I'm telling you, uh, it, it's kind of amazing. The war that's going on in the Mideast, just to say to you, don't worry about Israel. They will survive because God has already said they will. And so that settles that. Don't worry about them. If you want to worry about something, you need to worry about us. Because from the top to the bottom, you see, I can remember, and some of you old codgers can too, I can remember when the church, the influence of the church here in the U.S. was such that Congress, the president, Listen, even though Nixon was a foul-mouthed old reprobate, he did listen to Billy Graham at times, invited him there. And Billy Graham, you know, you may not be a, a Southern Baptist, but I'm telling you, he was a man of God, and he didn't compromise when he talked to the power, powerful people in the politics. He said what he thought was the will of God. We desperately need that influence, and we don't have it now. We don't. There was a time when I was a youngster that politicians were actually intimidated by the church. That doesn't exist anymore. Actually, the church is intimidated now by the politicians. That's gone the other way around. And, uh, and we need to wake up. Because the message of Jeremiah was... Punishment does come. God will only tolerate so much. Now, we don't know where that line of demarcation, I don't know where that is, but I suspect we're getting close enough that we better be on our toes. But I don't think it's too late. I don't think so. And I've looked around as best I can to find something that if you read it and took it seriously, because this, this little book 
that uh, David Platt wrote has about a couple hundred pages. And there's not very much in it that I can't give 100% of support for. He's, he calls it radical. We don't even like that title. Our culture doesn't even like that title. But it, it is a radical departure, shall I say, from what we've been doing to what we ought to do. And uh, I'm going to use my fortune and buy a bunch of copies that you all can have. Uh, if you can pay for it, you should. If you can't, take one and read it for next year. I'll, I haven't ordered them yet, but I will. Because I want to call him and see if I can get a real deal. <laughs> and uh, But Jeremiah's message was really, in the book of Jeremiah, he, wrote, he, he didn't write any, really. He dictated to a guy named Baruch. And, and he wrote them, and uh, both the book of Lamentations and the, and, the, uh, and the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's message is truly relevant to today for the church, not the world, the church. God's people would be a better way to say it. The thing that I want to point out to you is this. Jeremiah was called of God. Yet, now play with that a minute. Let me, let me fiddle with it. The church, the definition of the church is in Scripture the called out ones. The word ecclesia, where we get ecclesiastical, the word ecclesia is a combination of two Greek words ek meaning out. And kaleo, which means called. The church is in scripture is called, is referred to as the called out ones. Called out from the world into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul's favorite term in all the New Testament is two words. In Christ. Called out from the world in and put in Christ. Identified with his life of perfection, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his promise to come again. Baptism is, is meant to be a demonstration of the gospel, the good news. There's life, after, there's life after death. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6 says that's the, way we, that's the public way that we show that we're identified with Jesus. What we're looking at here in, in, the, in Jeremiah's book is really relevant to what we're doing in the church today. He says he, he, says he was called of God. Now, I want to talk just a second about how important that is and then we'll kind of cruise through the rest of it. I think the danger that we face in the church today is that we have professional preachers rather than men called of God. And there's a heck of a big difference. When I was in Bible college, one of our professors, Dr. Wilbur Cunningham, used to say in the preacher's meetings that we had every Tuesday, if you can do 
and this was a, a Bible college, a preacher preparation. There were two pe kinds of people there. There were guys who wanted to be preachers, and there were women who wanted to marry one. That was the way that, that's supposed to be a little humorous for you who are kind of half asleep. But that's just the way it was. There's a big difference. There's a big difference in professional preachers and those that were called of God. Because those who are called of God can't do anything else. They just can't. And Mr. Cunningham used to say, if you can do something else, do it. Because we don't need preachers that, can, that are really look at the, the ministry as a soft life, an easy life, a blah, 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 blah. It's really not if you, if you do it right. But Called of God. Now listen to the way the scripture reads. This is the first chapter of Jeremiah. This is the way it starts. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the, of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of jo Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Israel went to exile. Now, I, I, I would expect, if you were really awake, that you'd stand up and cheer that I pronounced all those words right. <laughs> now, you go... The fourth verse is where it gets to be relevant. The word of, of the Lord came to me saying, and now he's dictating this to a scribe. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. The word set apart would be sanctified in the New Testament. That means set apart to God for a specific purpose. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He was just a kid, maybe a teenager when this happened, when he looked back. And he, said, and he protested. He said, hey, well, the next verse says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to, to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. He, you see, was called of God. Now the question is, in preachers, leaders of the church, should they be people who have been chosen or should they be people by men, or should they be people who were chosen by God? You see, there is there's a significant difference here. And the New Testament actually addresses this in more than one place. In First Peter, first chapter here in the tenth verse, he talks about the word "called" as it's most often used in the Bible in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the, the, the word call more often than not refers to the calling of Christians out of the world into Christ. That's the word that's most often used. And Peter addresses that really plain here in the first chapter of 2 
Peter in the 10th verse when he says, therefore, and you know what I think about that word. The word therefore, whenever the apostle Paul set up and listened. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Now, what he's saying is, you ought to know you're saved. There's a whole bunch of Christianity that, that says, you will not know whether you're going to go to heaven or not until you open one eye after you die. That's a lot of baloney. You know that you're saved if you're really saved. You know it. Not because you deserve it, but because you have put your faith in Jesus. It is a matter of faith, not perfection. Because you ain't never going to get perfect in this life. And so, he, and he said, you are not only saved, you are among the elect. Which means that God has touched your heart and chosen you. You are a part of the chosen of God. See, that was just Israel once. Now, it's anybody who will call upon the name of the Lord. Because He is the one who touched your heart through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God that caused you to seek salvation. Now, that's the way it's most often used. But in a lot of other places, it speaks of, of the chosen being for a specific job. Paul writes in the opening chapter, verse 1, of the book of Romans, which probably theologically is the most important book in the Bible. It begins by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart, sanctified for the gospel of God. The apostle Paul you see, and the church, with the best of intentions, does stupid things at times. The early church tried to replace Judas themselves. In the opening part of the book of Acts, they selected a couple of characters and then used a, uh, a little dice game to figure out which one would be chosen. They were wrong because they chose him. God didn't. God chose Paul to replace Judas. And arguably was the most influential <coughs> preacher in the history of the church. Arguably. And he was select. And when you go over to the book of Hebrews, which is all about the Jews, Jewish people, it was written initially because in Israel, the church had gotten to the place where it was a threat to the Jewish structure. And so the Jews said, here's what we'll do. We won't, we won't trade with them, we Christians. We won't sell them anything. We'll starve them out. And it was working. The Apostle Paul actually went to Gentile churches because he was an apostle to the Gentiles and took up a big collection. I mean, it was a ton of money. It was so big that he said, i got to have a bunch of guys to go with me to take it back to feed the people in, in Israel, they were starving to death. They were being persecuted. And so he goes back there, and, and, and the book of Hebrews is written to those people and, and, and to encourage them not to give up, but hang in there and keep on going. That's, you see that in the opening chapter, really. But here, if you, if you look at, in the book of Hebrews, 
in the fifth chapter, it talks about the priesthood. Now, you may not think that matters, but guess who are the priests in the New Testament church? You are. You are. He says that Christians are a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. You've been chosen by God to represent him to a lost and dying world. And here's what he says about priests. He said, no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just like Aaron was in the Old Testament. That's in the fifth chapter and the fourth verse of the book of Hebrews. Now, there are other passages about the called. For instance, in the ninth chapter, in the 16th verse and following of the book of 1 Corinthians, he says this about people who preach. And the Apostle Paul here is talking about himself and other preachers. Starting at verse, what, 15, maybe in chapter 9. He says, I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things as he mentioned before. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the boast of, of and he's bragging about the converts in, in Corinth. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. You remember he's saying, Mr. Cunningham said, if you can do anything else, do it. The Apostle Paul said, I can't do anything else. I am compelled by God to preach. When I entered the ministry, I'll be honest with you, that's why I entered the ministry, to preach. There was a time I was a preacher in a small church, a couple of 300 people up in uh, Illinois, Prairie Green Church of Christ, out in the country, wonderful people. And they would, when, I, when they called me there out of seminary, they said to me, we want you to preach. We'll take care of the sickness. We'll, the elder said, we'll, we'll do that. So you preach. There were times that I went as much as three or four months as I preached every day. That's what they wanted me to do. And I don't know how many of you watch the Senior Pastors podcast. You, you ought to watch it just so I can brag on you. That uh, one of the guys, Ken Eidelman, who became president of Ozark Bible College and then pastored a church in, down in southern Indiana of three or 4,000 people, just, he, was, he was called to the ministry when I was preaching at a church camp in Indiana and now he's 70 some years old and participating in that podcast. And I keep reminding them he needs to refer to me as Mr. Because you see, we talk about Patrick and Eddie, you guys, and, and the old guy that chose them to come to the U.S. when I asked for a couple of them, they call him Uncle Alex because in Uganda, Uncle is the same as Mr. here. And so I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get into that. People call me Uncle Scott. But uh, so far, it hasn't gotten off the ground. Anyway, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm compelled to preach. And listen now what he says. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Especially, he said, if I preach voluntarily. Look at the next verse. If I preach voluntarily. In other words, if I follow what God wants me to do, that's what I do. Preaching the gospel. And, and he is saying, I was called for that purpose. I'm one who fits in the camp that we need men, women, even children like Jeremiah who knew that they were called of God to share the gospel. Now, there are pulpit preachers, granted, and there's the priesthood of God's people, all of whom have the same responsibility, share who Jesus is. I wanted to rant on that for a while because I'm really concerned about the quality of life of many of our preachers. You would be shocked if you knew the percentage of them who are dropping out because involved in sexual activities, all kinds of stuff. I mean, stealing, it's just really bad. And then the media, the bad media, pick up on that and just scatter it everywhere until the world sees that it has a vision of the church that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. We have to overcome that. We have to overcome that. Well, that's my rant on being called to the ministry. I think, the, I think Jeremiah's message is abundantly clear. He was doing, he was told this, don't get married. Don't get married. Don't, don't have any children. Because the judgment of God is such that you'll be sorry if you did. That's in what, 26th chapter, if I recall correctly. The word, this whole book of Jeremiah was as relevant as it could be if you were listening. Jeremiah was dramatically opposed to abortion. You want to know why I put signs out here and take it? And, and, and I'm not flexible. I'm not, I, I'm just not. Why? Because the Bible is so abundantly clear. I was shocked and upset. I was just flat aggravated with some of our churches in the area who refused to put a little sign out there about how they should vote on abortion. Bunch of wimps. It's abundantly clear when you read this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Well, how can you argue but what God knows? The value of a baby in the womb of a mother. Life is being so cheapened. We're using abortion for birth control, for heaven's sakes. The, the thing that I admire about Jeremiah is he wasn't boring. We were told in preaching class the worst sin of any preacher was to be boring. I don't know. I can, I, I'm, 
I'm capable of being boring, but I've never done it yet. I just know. <laughs> the reason I say this is because he wasn't boring. He, he may have been a lot of things, but he wasn't boring. You know what he did? He took a yoke and put around. Now, this isn't a yoke. Uh, 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 sorry about that. I'm being facetious here. I sometimes substitute the word joke for yoke because I think it's cute. If you don't know what a yoke is, my dad actually worked a team of oxen. You see, I'm, I'm a fortunate person. I actually have had conversations with people who were born before the Civil War. My grandpa was born in 1856. He was nine years old when President Lincoln was killed. You remember that well. He was 19 years old when he was, I think it was, said he was 19 years old when the 7th Cavalry was wiped out out west. He was a cowboy in Texas at that time. Dad said that two good oxen could actually outpull a lot of horses. And they are tied together with a heavy wooden thing shaped like this. And then they had, they usually had metal, and sometimes if they didn't have metal, they used leather thongs that went through a couple of holes that went under the necks of the yacht and then pushed back against their front shoulders where they could pull it. That's called a yoke. This is no yoke, now I'm telling you the truth. And he, he took one of those things and put on his shoulders and went around preaching. Why did he do that? It wasn't pleasant. He was demonstrating his message dramatically. I was told in preaching class that preaching is really God's word with personality. And, and so... That's what he was doing. He was, and the message was, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do and realize that Babylon is God's instrument for judging us, this wooden yoke will be replaced with a metal yoke that will bear you down and you will be carried off into slavery. That was his message. They didn't like it at all. And he actually then did something that was very unusual. Now, guys, like John sitting over here with no hair, he won't appreciate this. But guys like William, with all that hair, would if he wakes up in time to hear me. And, and anyway, he got him. You see, back then, long hair was common. And especially among those who had taken a vow. Because you remember Samson had taken the Nazarite vow, and the Nazarite vow said that a razor will never touch your head. And, you know, and he had a fast zipper and a, and a leaning for the women, and so, you know, he, he got, ended up getting his haircut. Jeremiah intentionally got a GI haircut. And everybody would look at him, you know, he's a weirdo. But he did it so people would pay attention to him. It's like most people put on... I'm still convinced that the fad 
of, of tattoos. There's, there's nothing sinful about them. But the fad of cat tattoos, in my opinion, is just to get people to look at you. The good thing about being ugly is you don't have to get anything different to get people to look at you because you walk by and they say, he's ugly, you know. The good thing that I respect about Jeremiah, let's see how I'm doing here, I'm doing, the thing that, one of the things I really respect about him, again, because I see him as really being relevant, is he didn't believe in the separation of church and state. Now, if you do, you've been conned. You've flat out been conned. There's nothing in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution about separation of church and state. That is an invention of the Pinkos. And, and, and you have to understand, the, whole, the term is not there. It came, and Matthew, I thought, did a good job explaining this, but repetition is the key to learning. There was a bunch of Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, and the local politicians were making their life miserable. And so they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson asking, what can we do and, and can you help us? And in that letter, back to the Baptist, uh, what's, what do they call the, the, what, the Baptist groups? I still use that term. I can't think of just now. Anyway, when they work, they're not a, they, they, they have a sort of a local federation where they work together. I wish we had one. And anyway, he wrote back to them and said, you know, and he used the term separation of church and state. But he used it as it was actually addressed in the Constitution when it is called, and, and the section there is, called in, in the, is, is referred to as, as a clause in the Constitution that said that the government could not establish a state church. It's called the Establishment Clause. That's what it's called. And, and, and it really is saying to the government, keep your nose out of the church. But it doesn't say the church can't tell the politicians where to put it. And the time has come when we better do that. Oh, you know, the Democrats will say you're a Republican, the Republicans say you're an independent. I don't give a hoot about any of them. I do give a hoot about the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you that Jeremiah stood right in the middle of the temple and said to the king, you either shape up or you're going to get us all killed. With that horrible mess that's in Washington, somebody needs to say, shape up or you're going to get us all killed. But you see, the government has successfully gotten to the place where they intimidate the church. They ain't seen the day yet when that's going to happen to me. I'll die first. Oh, I have people come to me, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't say that. Well, you shouldn't say that. Keep your nose out of my business. You got more than you can do taking care of your own. He made it very clear to the power structure of Israel 
you either shape up or you're going to get us all killed. It's in the 26th chapter. He was a preacher of both judgment and hope. A good preacher always ends up giving people hope. Uncle Alex Metalla, who sent Patrick and Eddie over here, told me, he said, don't ever preach to my people without giving them hope. Because he said, is, and he, this, these are his words, he said, is there anything in the English language that's more depressing than to say someone is hopeless? Give them hope. So, that's what Jeremiah did. He said, and in the opening part, he, he said, the time will come if you don't repent and do what I tell you, that you'll be carried off into captivity for 70 years. But at the end of 70 years, God will restore you. That's his promise. Well, my promise to you is this. If we will get past churchianity and become the people of God, where we, where we accurately represent to our, to our dying culture who God really is by the life we live, by the way we treat each other, by the heart that we have for the poor and needy, We will actually get to the place, hear me now, we will actually get to the place where the church intimidates the power structure of the whole country. Judgment may come, but God's people will always be here. He promised in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It will be here. It may, we may suffer, but we will survive and they won't. He not only gave them hope, he gave them a vision of what it was going to be like in the future. And that really helps. Because without a vision, what? People perish. Over in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews again, he says, here's what I'm going to do. The old covenant of being acceptable to God was how well you carried out the law. That's going to be replaced. I'm going to give you a new covenant. And this new covenant will be sorely based on your faith. The word, the word for belief and faith in the New Testament is the same Greek word. The verb form is pistuo. Faith means believing in something to the, to the, to the effect that it changes who you are. You see, when you really are converted, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your motive for existing has changed from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. And he talks about this new covenant 
in the 8th and ninth chapter. He says it this way. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what's obsolete and aging will soon disappear. The first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly tabernacle. He describes it here. But the new covenant will be based upon what you believe in your heart. Now, he uses the word heart because the heart is the seat of, our, of all that is real. If you want to know what a person really believes, what their faith really is, watch how they live. And based on this, the Bible says, I want you who are in Christ to live with this one goal, to become like Christ. Till he is fully formed in you so that you can say with me, the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If and when God's people who are guided by God's spokesman will take seriously the responsibility of being more than just churchgoers but be living demonstrations of who Christ is, our world will change. Now that doesn't happen overnight. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can do it. And that will only happen when we voluntarily surrender to His overpowering presence. And then wonderful things will happen. I'm telling you, if you're really sold out to Jesus, if you're really sold out to Jesus, what lies ahead for you beyond death is so magnificent that words are incapable of expressing it. There is not just judgment ahead for us. There's the blessed hope that can only come through Christ Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby this can happen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for your willingness to use old codgers like me to share your word, to believe your word, to obey your word. Bless this gathering of people, Father. Use them, I pray, to show our community where we live who Jesus is. Bless us toward that end is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget to get your Thanksgiving tickets and you good-looking women decorate some tables so my first wife will buy me lunch. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.